What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is America first. This is the battle zone of democracy and freedom and free enterprises affecting all other relations in the world. A Russian victory could cause huge problems. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon is at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. He's speaking with the president of Ukraine, leaders from China, and of course, our own team. Let's give you a half hour. Yeah, I'm gonna start charging you guys, by the way. <laughs> How he's thinking about the US economy. I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. And U.S. politics as we inch closer to the 2024 election. But I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. If you look, just take a step back, be honest. He was kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well. Jamie Dimon speaks on opportunities in China. Anyone who's looking to invest in there has to be a little worried. The CCP slowly opening up to foreign businesses, even sending its second-in-command to Davos. And Diamond says they're glad to do it. But they want us there. They're not, they're not asking American companies to leave. Plus, the last time I ever talked about Bitcoin. The JP Morgan chief has had it up to here with these crypto conversations. My personal advice would be don't get involved, but I don't want to tell anyone of you what to do. It's a free country. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Squawk Pod reports from Davos. JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon begins right now. And on the second day of Davos, our Squawk Box anchors gave to us yet another great interview, sitting in the cold in the Swiss Alps. Guys, here we go again. Yes. Beautiful day, day. once again. The World Economic Forum is in full swing. Leaders from all over the world are there. Israel, China, Argentina, Iraq, and as you'll hear, Ukraine. In case you missed our conversation with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he's there too. Scroll up in your podcast feed to hear the wide-ranging, really nuanced discussion of geopolitics and business that ensued when he stopped by our CNBC set. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin are hosting our live TV broadcast from Switzerland, sure, but they're also jam-packed off the air. Andrew, for example, moderated a session with the World Economic Forum's International Media Council this week. Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky answered questions from global journalists during the session, and he addressed a question that's getting louder and louder as the United States digests the results of our own Iowa caucus. What happens, and what happens to Ukraine, if Donald Trump is once again elected president? He decided, I think, that if not to free the conflict and to allow Putin to go through Ukraine and occupy us, that he will stop. Well, he will not stop. But the question is, what will United States and Donald Trump will do after this point? Because in this case, it will mean that Europe lost the most useful 
and the most strong army in Europe because you lost Ukraine. Now, that was recorded on an iPhone, so you might have missed President Zelensky's big point. So I'm going to do a little translation yeah, because some of, some of that audio uh, was a little bit hard to hear. Trump had said, look, that, he, that Trump thought he could solve this whole thing, right. that he would either force Putin to end this or end it, or if Zelensky wasn't willing to end it, he would take away his arms. Right. He said, if you think that would end things, bull, you know what? Yep. Hmm. He said it would never, it wouldn't, wouldn't end it because he believes that Putin will not stop. Right. Of course, world leaders and journalists aren't the only big thinkers in the Alps this week. Big CEOs are everywhere, including on our set. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon stopped by. It's his first interview since the SEC approved spot Bitcoin ETFs and they started trading, which matters because, well, Dimon's never been a big fan of Bitcoin. Here's what he said last Davos in 2023 about the asset. I think all that's been a waste of time and why you guys waste any breath on it is totally beyond me. Because you just think the whole thing just is-, is Going to zero? Going to zero and it's fake? Bitcoin itself is a, is a hyped up fraud. It's a pet rock. You're back to that? Yeah, really? Of course, yeah. This year at Davos, there was a lot to talk about with J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon when he sat down with Joe, Becky, and Andrew. Andrew kicks things off. Jamie Dimon is here. There's about 100 things we want to talk to you about. And it's nice to see you, sir. Great to be here uh, again. But I'll tell you where I want to start, because I see that you have the Ukrainian flag there yeah. on your lapel. Yeah. And you spent some time with President Zelensky yesterday. I did. Tell us about that meeting. You know, he came and met with a, a bunch of, uh, first of all, thrilled to be here, uh, all of you in, uh, around the world. Um, you know, he came and met with a bunch of uh, business leaders and people who can help think about refinancing uh, re- the redevelopment of Ukraine after this terrible war is ended. So they're starting to think ahead. So a lot of people, how do you set up structures and stuff like that? But you know, my, my heart goes out to the guy. I mean, people forget that every day he wakes up in the morning, there's a 600-mile front. There's a million soldiers fighting off uh, you know, a, a Russian. They've had 300,000 casualties so far. This may go on for longer. We have to help them. We have to t- teach the American public that this is about freedom and democracy for the free world. And th- that's, the, that's where the battle is being fought. And so I hope uh, our government gets together and you know, finally passes these new bills, et cetera. So I just want to show my support for Ukraine. Do you think that's a message uh, that is going to get broad support back in the United States? Because clearly uh, there is a huge polarized split on this. In fact, when I talked to Zelensky later in the day, we all we talked about the prospect of former President Trump becoming the president again and what that would mean for the support or actually lack of support for Ukraine in the future. I, I think American leadership has to explain to the American public why it's important has to remind them of what happened in 1917, has to remind what happened in 1941. Uh, and so while, you know, America, we have to protect America, this is America first. This is the battle zone of democracy and freedom and free enterprises affecting all other relations in the world. A Russian victory could cause huge problems that might, you know, I may write an op-ed on how the West lost. And, you know, and looking back from 2050, is did we keep together the alliances, the democracies, we have to put trade back on the table. That's how important right. this is. Well, what do you this may s- be that well, then What do you point. say to, to the politicians back in the U.S. and even politicians in other countries around the world who say, look, we have our own problems back home. We've got immigration issues, other things that cost money. We have other crises that we have to cont- yeah. contend with that we have to pay for, whether it be what's happening in Gaza uh, or other places around the world. And where do you, in, the, in this sort of stack prioritization, do you put Ukraine? Very high up. I, I think Ukraine is about whether the world is free and may be about whether the world is free and safe for democracy for 100 years. 
I, we are screwing up tons of other things, including immigration, but life isn't either or. So, you know, you can't say, well, we'll do this and do that. We, you know, you're, you're dealt the hand you're dealt and you got to deal with it. And so we should be very clear about helping the lower income population. You know, con no country, every country's got to control the borders and we have to control the borders. And so, uh, uh, so they're all important. You Would you take the deal that the Republicans have put on the table, though, which is we want this border immigration policy as we've laid out and then we'll fund the rest? Would you rather you know, take that than neither? I don't I have not read that deal in total, but I probably would take it. Yeah. We have to control the borders. We need more merit based uh, immigration. We need more seasonal immigration. We need more. Uh, we need uh, DACA have a place here. We need a path to citizenship. If you do not control the borders, you are going to destroy our country. And so I think the people who think that somehow this is OK. So now that, you know, they're sending the uh, the migrants into New York and stuff like that. So all of my super liberal friends. Now they realize what a problem is. Did it did it have to be that, you know, that we realize it? So we want to be have a big heart for the for the world. But we have to control the borders. David, do you, you, know, and, do you, do you view Putin's intentions as beyond Ukraine? I mean, there are some people that think that he wants the great uh, Russia. You know, he, he feels like it's been, I don't want to say castrated, but it's certainly not the Soviet Union anymore, yeah. Mother Russia. Uh, so he wants to bring some of that back. You don't think that there's certain parts that he would be, he would stop. You think Poland's next? You think that that, that there are larger intentions yeah. that, that are going to come? Because that, that almost a domino there, because we've had that, that those yeah, I would notions. defer a little bit to people like Condi Rice and Bob Gates and all these folks who are experts. You know, he clearly has designs in a bigger, broader Russia, stuff like that. And, you know, we don't exactly know if he wins something there, what he's going to do next. Why take a chance? Right. You know, I'm not looking at it. You have to know the answer. We do know if we don't take a chance, we're better off than we do take a chance. So, uh, and it's not, and this is also, remember, this is also about Iran, North Korea. I think it's a, about how China, you know, how China right. positions itself over time. Well, that's, you know, what, so, I was gonna, that's what I was going to yeah, go next, because we talked to Tony Blinken about China and uh, the relationship that the U.S. has with China and the prospect of them effectively uh, taking over Taiwan in the next call it several years. Yeah. What do you think the prospect of that is? And how do you think that multinational businesses are supposed to react or think about that yeah. risk? Yeah, so we met with the Chinese premier yesterday. And uh, and look, I'm going to get then to defer to Tony Blinken. You know, the chance of a Taiwan war in the next five years, everyone says is rather low for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, you know, China may one day have to take sides. They haven't done that. You know, that we shouldn't force them to because we can't tell other nations that how they should behave or how they should act. But I would look at China holistically. You know, we the, the, the Western alliance, democracy, should stay together, uh, keep it free. But we have to do trade, right. diplomacy, development, finance. Like, we are not all over Africa and Latin America like we should be. Now, Tony Blinken actually set up a meeting with Janet Yellen and a bunch of big financial companies about how to help generate more development finance with the World Bank. With the, you know, but here you need private capital. Private capital dwarfs with these multinational institutions can do. So it's a holistic view. There is no simple way to, to deal with China and the rest of this world. But if we do it holistically, you know, you guys heard me, we have the better hand. We have food, water, energy, the most prosperous nation the world's ever seen. How challenged, we, we do, how do you, how challenged do you think the Chinese economy is right now? And, and, and that's one of the reasons, and we heard uh, last year, actually, from the, the president of, of Taiwan, one of the reasons she thinks that actually China won't try to take, take the country is because they have to deal with their own challenges at home. I think there's some truth to that, but I think it's good they're here. You know, I mean, I think they're trying to make sure that they that 
they're open for business, that they're being fair to foreign companies. You saw that foreign direct investment for the first time kind of ever, I think, since WTO was negative this year. And uh, direct investment issue. is down. And yeah. so they need to invigorate their own economy for their own citizens, their own growth, their own people. And uh, and that may very well play into the geopolitical view. But do you, I mean, the message is that they're open for business now. I, I think people who have gotten burned in the past may be a little reticent before they're willing to invest more into it. They they have, so take financial service, they've been very consistent in opening up. Took a long time. So we have full license there now. But I think, you know, anyone who's looking to invest in there has to be a little worried. So, and, and you know, the risk reward has changed dramatically. You know, and of course, you know, it's coming like J.P. Morgan. I always say when it comes to foreign policy, Blinken decides and the president. You know, I salute. I'm an, uh, uh, an American patriot. But they want us there. They're not, they're not asking American companies to leave. And, you know, being a premier bank in, in, uh, in China helps us educate the government. It helps us educate the world about China. We bank, I'm going to say, a thousand multinationals in China. So we're obviously going to be very careful. And the laws have changed. And we have to change with the laws both in China and America, and we're, we're right. actively doing that. A quick ad break, and then more Jamie Dimon in Davos is coming right up. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin are in Davos in Switzerland, where they sat down with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon. Let's get back into it. Here's Andrew. How do you see the U.S. economy playing itself out over the next 12 months? This is an election year. We've yeah. been talking a lot about what just took place in Iowa yeah. and trying to understand how the American public is going to feel about the economy may ultimately uh, dictate how uh, the president is decided. Yes, I agree with that. I, I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. And, you know, and when stock markets are up, it's kind of like this little drug we all feel. Like, it's just great. You know? But remember, we've had so much fiscal and monetary stimulation. So I'm a little more on the cautious side that we are facing a lot of things in, 20, in 24 or 25. And you, we mentioned Ukraine, the terrorist activity in Israel, the Red Sea, quantitative tightening, which I still question if we understand exactly how that works. I don't think we do, how QE actually worked, what the effect of negative, you know, zero rates was for all this time, uh, and obviously the politics. And, you know, and then the Ukrainian war is affecting oil, gas, food, migration. So you have all these very powerful forces that are going to be affecting us in 24 and 25. So if I was the government, I would be preparing for what I'm going to do about that, assuming things aren't good. 
And I just also want to point out, I, I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA, you know, and you, if you travel this country, you know, and the country's unbelievable. We took our bus trip this year and Leslie Picker was on Spokane and Boise and Bozeman. People are growing. They're hungry to grow. They're innovating. It's, it's everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. So we've got this great hand. But when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump and they think they're voting and they're basically scapegoating them that you are like him. Uh, and but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He was kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm-hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, Trade, China ta- virus. Tax reform worked. Mm-hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't th- I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. When he, when yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about I Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should, have, you should always ask the why. Not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to Trump? hate 75 million of your fellow Americans. And it's, I, I agree. It's done quite and, you know, the it. Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, not, hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really, like, can, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? I mean, and, and I do think the economy will affect. And I think this, this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. I, right. I just and, want to ask you back to the $34 trillion that, that we got, because it, it seemed like it, when rates were going up and we thought the Fed was going to keep going higher for longer, it, it looked like some of that was coming home to roost because the auctions weren't going well. It's like, wow, debt service is much more expensive. This is going to hurt. Suddenly, the pat answer is, wow, we're already through that. Rates are coming down again. So the $34 trillion suddenly is is... Okay, again, and, and I don't think it works that way. Yeah, it's a, it? I think people are making a mistake. I think it is going to come to bite. You know, that could be in three years or five years or seven years. I think it may very well bite in the markets way before that because the market makers don't have the cap because the regulations don't have the capability to make markets like you used to. So we can easily handle it, but we're restricted by uh, all these rules. And you're absolutely correct. If my numbers are right, in 1980, debt to GDP was 35%. We spent 5% of the deficit to because of recession, now debt to the GDP is 100%. The debt to G- the, the deficit is 6%, and it's in a boom time. And of course, it feels pretty good because you spend all that money. It seems to be working. I think governments are starting to feel a little omnipotent and central banks. I'd be much more cautious about them. Because we don't use the word crowding out anymore. It, doesn't, it, that, doesn't the private sector don't get crowded until out? It happens. And like I said, yeah. we feel good. You know, when, when the government spends a trillion dollars more, what happens? We People feel have more money in their pockets. Right. Corporate profits right. go up. People spend more. Stock markets go up, but it creates liquidity. You owe money on that, though. Exactly. There's a lot of yeah. money that's going to continue to be spent on bills that have already been passed this next year. Your outlook for the economy is so different than what we've heard for so many right. people that, that it worries me because we make the case that a lot of times Davos is the antithesis in terms of they're, they're always wrong on what they're predicting on things. Are you making these predictions as a, a premier risk assessor, somebody who's looking at these things, or are you making this thing... As an idea of this is the more likely case. No, no a risk assessor. I mean, it's a very important distinction is that you got to look at all these factors and you got to look at different points in time. You can't like look at, oh, it feels pretty good today. And so a lot of people, when you come up here, it's about how they feel, their order book, right. what they see. But, you know, all these forces you mentioned, like when I look at inflation, the green economy is inflationary, the IRA acts inflationary, whatever restructuring trade happens, inflationary, the remilitarization of the world's inflationary, deficits are inflationary. And that, you can't sit here and say, 
that won't have any effect at all. Right. And that's that stuff is is cumulative. Right. It's like you guys saw this article recently about the cumulative negative effect on work from home on young people. Well, we spoke about that two years ago. You know, you can kind of see that these kids aren't coming in. They're not meeting people. They're not learning enough. So do you have to wait for it to actually happen to figure out that that might be what Most happens? Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to your, your comments about Biden and, and Trump, because you, you, you effectively made a case for Trump in some ways. Um, we had uh, I, made, I made a case for respect of Trump's right. voters. So we had we had, right. we had Bill Ackman on the program last week, uh, who's wanted you to be uh, run for president yeah. for a very long time, as yeah. you know. And he's been a longtime Democrat. Yeah. And he effectively said that he thought that Biden was just too old um, and effectively opened the door to possibly voting for President Trump. I'm curious when you just look at the candidates from a, as a CEO of a, of a multinational global business, what you think would be better for the business? Yeah. Remember when I gave opinions in the UK, I got nasty letter emails from all the people in the UK, like, leave, get out of here, Yankee. Who would have you right? I, I have to be prepared for both. I will be prepared for both. We will deal with both. My company will survive and thrive in both. You know, I hope the country survives in both. And so, and I hope whoever it is, like, is respectful of other people, you know, and it's not about retribution. It's about growing the economy and helping people. And, you know, if you talk about America first, I always say, you know, no president's going to run for president and say, America second. second. Well, of course it's America first, America but, but America first has multiple different reasons, which has changed over time. You know, and when Washington was president, you know, don't get involved in European things. Well, we got involved two major ones to save the world for democracy and freedom. And this country is the arsenal of democracy and the bastion of freedom. So, you know, I hope whoever's president does that. And so um, uh, could we could we pivot to a topic that I know I know you you find sort of laborious at this point. Uh, (laughs) That's a good good word, which is Bitcoin. Um, This ETF was approved uh, just about a week ago now. And I think a lot of people are trying to understand what it ultimately means. Uh, JP Morgan, I imagine uh, if you were a client of JP Morgan, you could call your broker and say, uh, get, get, get me some of this ETF. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you telling, what are you telling your brokers to tell them back when they make that call? Yeah. So this is an important thing. I would, this is the last time I've ever talked about this in CNBC. Okay. <laughs> so help me God. <laughs> Blockchain is real. It's a technology. We use it. It's going to move money. It's going to move data. It's efficient. We've been talking about that for 12 years too, and it's very small. Okay. So I think we've wasted too many words in that. Cryptocurrencies, there are two types. There's a cryptocurrency which might actually do something. Think of a cryptocurrency as an embedded smart contract right. in it, and that we can use it to buy and sell real estate and move data. That may have value. The idea of tokenizing. Tokenizing things, things right. that, that you do something with. And then there's one which does nothing. I call it the pet rock, the Bitcoin or something like that. And so on the Bitcoin, you know, there's, first of all, and I'm, I'm not trying to make a joke here. There are use cases, AML, fraud, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance, sex trafficking, those are real use cases, and you see it being used for hundreds, maybe $50, $100 billion right. a year for that. That is the end use case. Everything else is people train among themselves. So, Speculate. Yeah. Now, okay. Now, my last statement, the last time I ever talked about Bitcoin is I defend your right to do Bitcoin. I think, you know, it's okay. okay. I don't want to tell you what to do. So my personal advice would be don't get involved, right. but I don't want to tell any one of you what to do. It's a free country. What do you and make? So of, what do you make of that's Black, why, What do you make of the other firms, the Black Rocks of the world? That that obviously, and, and Larry Fink changed his view of this, obviously, yeah. and maybe he changed his view because you think he genuinely believes in Bitcoin, or genu- or believed it because he thinks that there's a marketplace for it, and he wants to be part of that market. But what do you think of the? And there's a, about a dozen big financial companies. 
fidelity no, included. No, number one, I don't care. So just please stop talking about this. <laughs> and and I don't know what he would say about blockchain versus currencies that do something versus Bitcoin that does nothing. And maybe that not different than me. But, you know, this is what makes a market. People have opinions. I, this is the last time I'm ever going to state my opinion. Gold really didn't do anything either. Yeah, but gold's limited in supply. So it's Bitcoin. And it's been used. Uh, so you think so, huh? I do. I think there's a good chance that when Bitcoin, when we get so to that 20 to million Bitcoins, million, go to that, 42. No, that Satoshi's going to come on there. Laugh hysterically, go quiet, and all Bitcoin's going to be erased. I think, man. How the hell do you know it's going to stop at not, 21? Not I've, I've never met one person who told me they know for a fact they take that as... Mathematically, it, it, it can't happen because I, by the last one will you, be you, mined in 2150, and it, it, it gets harder and harder every time there's another halving. Yeah. But, but Jamie, it, I, look, looking guys, back you over... You do what you want, I'll do what I want. As for gold, you can, <laughs> the, the six characteristics that make gold valuable for 4,000 years, they're yeah. all... Present in Bitcoin. That's all I'll say. And I love you, and I don't want to. You, you, and I also don't. I don't also don't want to be a. You, you may, Joe, Joe. You may be right. Yeah. Like I don't own gold either. So okay. Uh, that's what I mean. Cu- couple of quick final questions. I like to own things that pay me incomes. Uh, it doesn't cost money to carry anyway, and it costs money to carry Bitcoin too. By the way, we've so. talked a lot about yeah. commercial real estate uh, here uh, in Davos. There was a big sixty minutes piece on on Sunday. And- oh yeah, but I think there's another risk to Bitcoin. If if you can't solve the bad use cases, the government's probably going to have to close it down. So that the, the thing about oh, the money laundering, yeah. you, you can you think, like, here's it, the, the number was 20,000, I think, for U.S. dollars for dollars in money laundering. And it was 35 for how much is done with Bitcoin. So at this point, ransomware, the do, but ran, the, do, the dominant, ransomware is I know, but the dominant, know about. historically, the dominant currency for money laundering has been. US I, I understand. OK, <laughs> uh, quickly, commercial real estate. Yeah. Do you have a take? We, we've been talking to a number of investors who've been sitting here talking about what it means to the debt markets what it means to some of the smaller banks. Um, obviously, you have a big building going up, by the way, yeah. in, in New York. But the three-day week, what that's going to mean longer term. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I think the value of all stuff, all financial assets in America is like $140 trillion. Commercial office real estate is like $1.2 trillion. Okay. $600 billion on bank books. A lot of that is corporate owned and stuff like that. Let me divide into three pieces. If we have a soft landing, which is possible, and rates don't go higher, which is possible, it'll be a small problem. If we have a hard landing and rates don't go higher, it'll be a bigger problem. And if we have a hard land with higher rates, which I still think is possible, it'll be a bigger problem. Because That's inflation all. goes up even it, it, with Well, or, interest rates are like cosmological constant. Yeah. Anything which has cash flows is worth less. And obviously, if there's a recession, less need for space and all the things that happen in recession and stuff like that. So... Uh, um, and I don't know how it's going to affect, you know, work from home is a whole different thing. Our building's unbelievable. If you haven't yep. seen it, walk by. Uh, it's going up quick. Yeah. You know what I love about you, Jim? Uh, and I've told you this many times. You, you said one time, I, I'm just barely a Democrat. Today, all the things you said about Megan, what you're saying is really to try to help the Democratic Party, eh? because it's tough love is what you're using. You are not, Maggie, you're not going to turn into a Republican, I don't think. But you realize- I always say- I have a, a, a Democratic heart and a Republican brain. Exactly. And I do think more and more of the Republicans that the Democrats have big hearts and very small brains. They, they should be a little more thoughtful about policy if, if, if and how things work. End, if on the front end, all the things you're doing to try and help people actually on the back end end up hurting them, you need to cop to that someday, okay. eventually. And okay. they don't. I'll come confess here. if that. No, happens. not you. I'm saying the Democratic Party. No, I'm not talking about you. Yeah. The, the Democratic Party needs to say, look, 
we try all these things and we made things worse. So, you know, at least cop to it. Yeah, just, just, I also want to point out, when I go to DC all the time, remember, we spend a lot of time on, I will call the wing nuts. There are a lot of centrist Republicans, Democrats. Who, yeah. If they sat here, you'd have- It you'd, might be a majority, it might be 80%. I, it it might be- That's, I, I don't understand. Like, well, partially, you guys invite the wing nuts on more. Know, we than, invite uh, the not you guys. I'm not I'm talking about you. I'm talking about like CNN. And just Fox gave you a half hour. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start charging you guys, by the way. <laughs> Jamie Diamond, <laughs> thank you minutes. very, very much for joining right, thank us. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Right. Appreciate it. Thank you again. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Thank you for tuning in to this special Squawk Pod reports from Davos, Switzerland. If you want more content from the World Economic Forum, and trust me, there is plenty, you should turn on your episode downloads and your notifications wherever you're listening now. We're pushing out episodes throughout each day this week, so your feed will be chock full of conversations with the world's elite direct from Davos. Our TV broadcast, Squawk Box, is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, Katie Kramer, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazration is our editor. Have a great day. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.